Welcome back to another episode of Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway, and on this episode, I have three creators. Yes, once again, I have pulled together three key creators on a comic book coming out soon in June called Kill the Minotaur. I have both the writers on the book and the artist on the book, Kill the Minotaur. Issue 1 debuts on June 14th, and this classic tale of ancient Greece is being brought to you by Image Comics and it is a 30-page comic book. Every issue is 30 pages for $3.99. Yes, you heard me right. Extra pages for $3.99. But let's talk about the creators behind the book. That's why we're here after all. The writers, there's a team of writers, Chris Passetto and Christian Cantamessa. The art is by Lucas Kurtner, and he will be joining us as well. The colorist is Jean-Francois Bellou. He will not be joining us, but I do want to give him credit for the colors in the book and the colors on the cover. Now, I know some podcasters do not like to do interviews with multiple people. To me, it's more fun. A little more of a challenge, but more fun. You just have to be very clear about who you're talking to. That's the key. Address people by name, the correct name. That helps. But it's more fun. It's three times the fun talking to three different creators with three different points of view and to hear what each one of them brings uniquely to a book. And in this case... That book is Kill the Minotaur. We're going to talk about it, their interests, and a whole lot more in this episode of Creator Talks. So let's get to it. Chris Passetto, Christian Kenamasia, and Lucas Kurtner here now on Creator Talks. Chris, Christian, and Lucas, welcome to Creator Talks. It's great to have all three of you here on the show to talk about Kill the Minotaur, which is being published by Image Comics. It's coming out in June. I have the two writers and the artists here. So practically everybody's here. So I'm going to start off first uh, talking to Chris and Christian. Who's the lead writer on this title? Does one plot, one script, or did the two become like a gestalt, a superpower gestalt writing team? How does how does it work? And Chris, we'll start with you, and then Christian, you can then put in your two cents. Um, oh wow, it's hard for me to even say like oh like uh, Christian is the lead writer or I'm the lead writer. I, I probably took the took the helm when it came to you know doing a lot of the the script writing for the comic, but in terms of like putting putting the story together and putting the pieces together, um, that was really a, a, a joint effort for both of us. And then, and then even, even as I was like doing a lot of the work on the, the, the actual scripts, you know, those were going past Christian and Christian. Yeah. I'm really interested. Like, do you feel like we have a lead writer? I don't think we have a lead writer. We should get, uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. Definitely. Um, it's more of an organic process where for this particular, uh, for this particular comic, we, um, we sort of worked together uh, for for some time, kind of breaking the story, uh, bringing the characters to life. Uh, Chris definitely took the lead in terms of uh, migrating older index cards and post-it notes and uh, pages of uh, character biographies and story outlines into an actual uh, series of comic book uh, scripts and uh and also like i have to say chris did a lot of uh research and um sort of putting together a plan on how to write a comic because this is our first comic 
And yeah. when when we were talking about writing a comic script, I mean, we, we wrote a couple of movie scripts and a bunch of video game scripts, but never a comic. So Chris really, uh, you know, needs to take the credit for actually figuring how to do this and uh, and doing it. Uh, putting the putting everything into a format that we could give to an editor and that we could give to Lucas and uh, and for them to make sense of what we were trying to do. Um, but it was always very organic in that um, we collaborate frequently and uh, and we have a, a nice way of doing it. Lucas, do you have any input on the story? Do you give the guys some feedback? Is there like 360 degree feedback, kind of like a back and forth about ideas you might have about the script as they give it to you? Anything that you can do to um, add a little bit to it? Well, I mean, uh, I, I certainly started with a very strict script and uh, there were, uh, it's really just occasionally, but every once in a while, you know, we'll come across something where I'll drop in an idea for something visually we could do. Uh, such as um, like, oh, well, what if this was from a different angle or something like that? Um, but uh, when it comes to actually like, you know, the story construction and who the characters are, uh, I had a little bit of, uh, certainly had some visual design input into that, but not really as far as uh, uh, assisting to like script the story or, you know, build the chapters or anything like that. Um, because uh, I mean that's, that's it's not really my wheelhouse either. I mean I I prefer to to really just take uh, a strong script and a strong idea like uh, Christian Christian came up with, and really just kind of build on it visually and uh, do some historical research, and uh, come up with uh, some cool otherworldliness to it. Um, but as far as like there being a a complete. 360 uh, back and forth on on building the actual story that mostly happens on Christian Chris and Christian's end. Now, fair enough. That makes sense. To otherwise, it would be just too cumbersome to try to get through it. And like you said, it's not in your wheelhouse. Um, that's not your expertise in this case. Now, here's the really interesting thing about the creative team, though. Chris and Christian, you both worked on video game developing, story writing. That's your background. And this has become more and more common. Uh, you know, there's been a shift in the comics industry where we've seen an influx of novelists and film writers starting to plot and script comics around the beginning of the 21st century. And we're seeing this, again, more with uh, people that have written for, for games. Um, for example, a couple weeks ago, I had Anthony Johnson on the show. He was promoting a book, and he also writes scripts for games. So, Chris and Christian... Um, would each of you tell me a bit about your video gaming background in development and writing and how it ultimately led up to this point where you're writing Kill the Minotaur? And we'll start with you, Chris. So this is your first foray into writing comics. Yeah. Um, well, I mainly work as a game designer, um, with, with, which involves some writing. But most of my job in video game development is, is actually very different from writing whether it's scripts for movies or, or for comics, um, you know, there, there's still a, a good bit of creative to it, but, um, it's a lot more of a passion for me to do these, these other projects like, like the film and, and, and this comic especially, um, because it's a lot more on me or on, on us as a creative team, working in a small creative team to make a product, to tell the story that we want to tell. Um, and, 
don't know. And I, and I love comics as well. So to me, it's, it's very different from my job working in video games. You know, I work in video game development on huge projects that involve hundreds of people and I'm kind of a small cog in that creative mechanism. So this is, um, this is very different and, uh, it's a lot more, I guess I, I would say more personal for me. Okay. So it's more closer aligned with the film work in terms of writing, but since it is a passion of yours, it gives you a chance to flex some new skills, new muscles for this writing and uh, kind of a, a bit of a challenge too, since it's not what you do day to day. Definitely. And Christian, how about yourself? Um, I actually started in the video games industry as a writer back in the mid nineties. Um, I think it was about 96 or something. Um, I was working on an adventure game, a sort of point and click adventure game back in the time when the uh, adventure games were going from 2D point and click to uh, more like 3D point and click, like Gabriel Knight and uh, um, games of that sort of uh, type. Um, Green Fandango is another example. I was working for a developer um, in Italy where I was born and raised. Um, and I had spent considerable time already in the UK. So my job was to kind of write for this Italian developer who was working with a, uh, with a publisher in the UK called uh, Team 17. And I was the in-between kind of writing in English and communicating in Italian with the people actually making the game. I loved it. I, I always wanted to be a, a filmmaker. And then I figured out that making some of these uh, story-driven games was um, a lot of fun and it was uh, a great way to kind of tell a story and, and possibly um, a great alternative to working in the film industry. So I started doing it more and more and I ended up learning the trade of uh, designing and writing games sort of uh, by, by virtue of working in them. And I ended up working for a company called uh, DMA Design in the uh, 19, late 90s, early 2000. And they were working on a little game called uh, Grand Theft Auto 3. And I, um, you know, I was lucky enough to kind of be there, uh, right time, right project. Um, I worked on that game for a bit and then I co-created another game called uh, Manhunt, which was a brutal, violent nasty uh video game um i wrote the screenplay for that and did some uh, cinematic directing with another uh, good friend of mine uh, called mondo and um then kind of worked at rockstar for many many years uh eventually after red dead redemption i uh, left the company to start my own business and at the moment that's uh, that's what i do primarily i I, I write for games, for comic books, sometimes for movies. Um, so that's uh, I'm lucky enough that that's what I do for a living. Lucas, this is the first time we've talked, and you're the artist on the critically acclaimed Skybound comic Witch Doctor. Would you tell me a bit about your artistic background? You know, when you decided to become a professional artist, and a bit about your training. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I'll start forward and work backwards. I actually got into comics way later in life than most comic book artists do. Uh, I don't think that 
uh, Brandon Seifert and I even began to do our our sort of first uh, proto uh, run on on Witch Doctor, which was self published and you know published by Kinkos essentially. <laughs> we didn't uh, we didn't even start doing that until around 2008, and I'm I'm like 28 at that point. Um, but for a good a good eight or nine years before that, I had been uh, I, I'd gone to uh, design school, and so I was a uh, sort of a, a layout pre-press guy for a little while. And up until 2008, I was just working as a freelance uh, editorial illustrator, book illustrator, uh, you know, doing doing stuff for magazines and stuff like that. Uh, and I just kind of uh, it kind of morphed into the the comic book scene here because I'm in Portland and Portland uh, for a long time now, it's just been a huge comic book town. Uh, more and more publishers, uh, image comic, image central comics just actually moved to Portland not too long ago. So we've got a lot of the big publishers that aren't like the big, the big two Marvel and DC here. And uh, you know, the more art, other artists and uh, uh, copywriters and, stuff like that, that I started to meet in town. Like you just, you couldn't throw a rock without hitting people that worked in comics. So, uh, and by, uh, j- just by some kind of weird fluke, cause it, uh, I happened to meet a few of the dark horse people way back when I was in college. Uh, they invited me to come do a design internship for my, you know, my senior internship at dark horse comics out there in Milwaukee, which is like just right outside of Portland. And, uh, when we were trying to make that work, um, we realized that, oh, well, there actually is no design internship available out there at the time. So they just put me in an editorial internship and I just straight up like lied to my school because I really wanted to, you know, just be out there interning in any capacity for, for three or four months. Um, and they let me stay for like five months. <laughs> they just they couldn't get rid of me. Um, but that was really my first kind of inside uh track on like what comics were actually like about you know how, it's rare that you, you hear about people like breaking into comics and stuff and it's more of a it's more of a gentle sneak into comics we even uh brandon seifert and i and a few other people actually used to do a panel called sneaking into comics how you really get into comics you know it's it's uh you just you start with a very small job at least do another very small job and before you know it, you're doing larger and larger jobs that are, you know, maybe, maybe you don't, uh, maybe your first job isn't, you know, drawing a comic. It's, it's, uh, oh, you're assisting a colorist in some way, or you're, uh, oh, you're going to help out your buddy who's a letterer. And then he, they put in a good word and it's, it's this very organic thing that happens. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, 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 we were lucky enough to have that happen. Uh, cause I think it's, it's a lot easier to, get uh more like larger publisher work if publishers see that you are already putting out your own stuff even if you're not making a profit you're putting it where people can see it it's your own thing and the the larger publishers will get this sense that well you know whether or not we get him to do our comic he's just going to be doing comics anyway so we might as well <laughs> you know, might, might as well benefit from that. So it's, yeah, but that's, uh, that, that's a very roundabout long way of, of saying that, uh, uh, I did not go to school for comics or even illustration. It was, uh, it was this very kind of cold graphic design 
computer stuff that I didn't want to be doing for very long. And that led to professional illustration, which led into uh, eventually just comics in general. What do you bring to the table that's unique with your artistic style to kill the Minotaur? Ooh, that's a um, probably uh, probably my sense of just like squickiness. Like I'm, I, I've always been told that uh, I'm pretty good with like goopy, creaturey, sort of otherworldly type stuff. And I think that uh, you know, as a reader, uh, people will start to kind of get the sense that maybe you know, there's at least something off about what's going to be happening in the series. And uh, I was always heavily influenced by uh, like 70s horror comics. Uh, even before that, you know, back to the old Tales from the Crypt stuff. That's uh, always kind of been how things ended up when I tried to put things on the page. It was very brushy and kind of Crypt Keeper-y. Uh, and, you know, you add a little bit of... Uh, otherworldly uh sorry i keep using i've used that word like seven times <laughs> but um you add a little bit of that to it and it kind of becomes this uh you, almost like this john carpenter take on on uh, the events of the story uh which i just i love drawing that stuff all the goopy bony fleshy horror stuff has always been uh the most fun to draw everything else is fun to draw too but we, you know when you, you get to a page where it's just like uh, just veins and ribs and stuff. It's it, you can. I really sink into that stuff. Yeah, and you can see that in the first issue. And I'm just looking at a copy of Image Plus, which there's a an article about the book Kill the Minotaur, and it has your artwork in there all around the article, and it's penciled. You know, it's not uh, colored yet, which is really cool because you can see all the detail in it, including those the creatures. Um, and also this Escher-esque drawing that you did. That's a real nice insight into the artwork raw without coloring added to it. Yeah, it's a good indication that, I mean, you know, I don't think any of any of those uh, designs that they, that they put into Image Plus are like spoilers or like the final designs or anything like that. But uh, they, do, they do give you a sense that, you know, stuff, stuff's going to get weird. Uh, and, you know, it'll be, uh, be up to the reader to kind of glean, like, why that is or where, where that comes from and stuff like that. Well, let's all talk a bit about Kill the Minotaur, because I haven't really gotten into the story yet. And it's based on the ancient Greek mythological story, and those who aren't familiar with it can refer to their uh, dog-eared copy of Bullfinch's mythology from school for the details. But I think it'd be more fun if each of you talked a bit about the story, what it's about, you know, give me the skinny on it. Chris, let's start with you, uh, what it's about and why you like working on this particular story. Um, well, what it's about, it's a, I don't even, I guess you, you could call it a retelling. I think it's our own fresh spin on the, the myth of Theseus and the Minotaur. Um, so tough to do this without spoiling. It's like I, it's like I have to self-edit. Um, yeah, we wanted to do a, a fresh spin, something that, that feels a little more contemporary um, and specifically in, in my head, what it's about is it's, it's about the nature of this story as a myth, um, as this, the story that we've been handed down and, and, you know, well, well, how did, how did this story actually come about? What, what are the roots of this story? And so that's, that's where I think we have fun with it, where we take 
and whether or not you're completely familiar with it, we take a lot of the elements that you might see in your in your bullfinch, and we represent them in some form in this story in a, in a form that is, is you know a little off um, and unexpected, um, including the characters. Uh, and that's you know that was another one of the in- enjoyable things for for me. The characters are not as as um, two-dimensional cutouts as you might be used to in a in a regular myth story where you have like the heroes and the villains and the monsters are all you know pretty pretty flat so our characters taking that apart and and representing it in a different way that's that's a lot more relatable um i think that was another of our main goals in in telling this story so so what's it about it's about not just retelling the myth of Theseus and the Minotaur, but, you know, how that story is a myth, like in terms of a, you know, a heroic story and also, you know, maybe a a series of things which aren't entirely true. And and we are proposing like, well, maybe, maybe this is true. Maybe this is what happened. And that's where we take the liberty to, to get a little weird. And Christian, what do you like about working on this particular story? First of all, um, joining what um, Chris just said and just adding to uh, all that, that to me, like we've discussed before, Chris and Lucas, there's also an aspect of that story that's a little bit like a coming-of-age story. It is the foundational basis of a lot of uh, horror and, and drama. The Theseus and the Labyrinth are the, the first story uh, of confined terror that that we possibly have um and so uh it was really interesting to kind of go back to the archetype as i mentioned i grew up in italy for me mythology that you know you eat in in the morning with your cereals when when you're a kid there so it was it was also like uh, going back to sort of my uh, my roots if you will even if i never grew up in greece and it was never locked in a in a labyrinth no 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 enough for punishment and you know my parents used other ways of uh, disciplining me just ask you lucas uh, you had already said that these kinds of creatures are really suited to your style is there any other reason why this is the book for you oh man um i, I said this a couple other times but i mean this was my favorite greek myth as a kid uh i, I was i was really into greek mythology when i was younger uh i mean i I guess I still am, you know, I, I never really stopped, but, uh, the, this, when we started doing this book, I mean, it really just rekindled a lot of that. And, uh, I got to go back and reread everything and, uh, uh, you know, get re-familiar with, uh, the myth in general and all the details of it and everything. As soon as I, uh, was in, invited to kind of take a look at the project and see what was going on with it and see if I'd be interested. I mean, I, I immediately knew that I wanted to do it just because, I mean, I've always kind of wanted to work on something that had to do with Greek mythology and to, and to do something like this where it, it deals with Greek mythology, but, it, but uh, you know, Chris and Christian have done their own thing with it. That's just a huge bonus. And, uh, and a lot of the, in, and like we've said, I mean, there, there, there is a lot of really cool sort of uh, imagery in it that uh, I think is, is uh, I can always tell when something's suited to my style to draw just because it's so much fun to draw, you know. It's like I said, I get, to, I get to that, like, 
you know, every few pages you get to something where it's just like, oh, God, I get, to, I get to draw that. Like, yeah, it's all shiny and slimy. And, yeah. Now, I said this is being published by Image Comics, but it's actually the Skybound imprint, which people familiar with it know that Robert Kirkman, that's, that's his imprint, Skybound. And you've all worked with Skybound in one way or another, either through movies or through other comics. Um, is that how you all got together as a team to be on this book, that you were in some way connected through that association? Yeah, I, I think the, the, the glue, I mean, Christian and I uh, knew each other before, and we, we uh, wrote the movie, well, wrote and Christian directed the movie Air, uh, which Skybound, uh, their film division, did. And then um, I, I think Sean, Sean Makowitz was the, the glue um, who kind of hooked us up with, with Lucas. Sean loved Lucas, knew he would be uh, perfect for it, when once we kind of got hooked up, started making contact. The funny thing is, I think you mentioned those those Image Plus pencil images. Lucas, are, do you know? Like, I'd have to like go back way back in my memory. I think some of those images are literally some of the very first ones you did when you jumped on. Like, so so some of them are really early in our in our process, and it it was really interesting to see them. Lucas's response was even pre-verbal uh, was to. <laughs> was to shoot out some sketches. Sean at, at Skybound uh, kind of kind of hooked us up. Cool. Yeah, I I mean a lot of those sketches were done before, you know, we'd even worked out the logistics or anything. I just I just got really excited about it. And I was just like, oh, okay, we'll show them this. Like, is this is this how this might look or, you know, that kind of thing. Like, especially the drew a couple of the characters and like took a took a few cracks at like the labyrinth and the minotaur and then mm-hmm. and then uh, I think. Sean at that point was just like, okay, okay all right, so just, you know, <laughs> let's get slucked down first, and all right, <laughs> you know, but uh, he, he didn't actually say that. He was also very excited about it, but uh, it was, um, uh, I always I always love that that just first brush with a project where it's just, you, you realize what's going to be involved, you realize you're probably going to get to do it, and uh, you just kind of go home and, and just sit for four hours, just kind of having fun with it. And are you um, working pretty closely with Jean-Francois Bodo, or um, is, is he just kind of taking the colors on his own, or do you have any kind of a note you're passing along, or do the Chris and Christian, oh, do you do definitely. that? Oh, definitely. Okay. Have you worked with him before? I have not. Okay. Um, no, I, I, I don't think any of us have, but... Uh, no. He looks good. No, yeah. he's... Yeah, he's... he's uh... His work is, is fantastic. Very well suits the book, and he's doing the color on the covers, too. Covers and interiors, he's doing the... Um, mm-hmm. And by the way... Those are 30 pages each issue, too. A little longer yeah. than the standard comic book. And how many issues? Is it six issues? Is it a six-issue mini? or? Yeah, it's yes. six issues. Okay. Just want to digress a bit back to um, the film writing that uh, Chris and Christian worked on writing, directing Air, which I haven't seen it. It was out in 2015. Actually, I just checked out the trailer a few minutes ago. So tell me, how does that compare, uh, working on that film to putting together this comic book? Tell me a bit about your experience working on the film Air. I'll... Uh, Get started, Chris, and then I'll uh, sure. yeah, pass yeah. the baton to you. Uh, it, well, first of all, Chris and I uh, worked on that movie uh, right after doing a short together. We, we wrote a short that I directed called How I Survived the Zombie Apocalypse that um, was our sort of first foray into kind of uh, making a movie. Uh, I had made a couple of shorts before, but they were... Uh, not very uh, narrative driven. They were more sort of uh, experimental, if you will. 
let's let's be gentle and call them that way and uh, and uh, sort of we, we really enjoyed working together the short uh, went out to like a bunch of festivals it did scream fast here at the Chinese theater in LA it went like abroad it did the film for festival in England blah 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 so and you know we really enjoyed working together and um, we decided to write a feature and like you do when you're trying to put a feature together and at the time we didn't have an agent or a manager or any of that sort of stuff you you write something kind of small and contained with a limited amount of factors in a in a single location and because we both sort of liked um sci-fi and um post-apocalyptic stories and you know this sort of material uh, we kind of, uh, after much deliberation and failed attempts at uh, coming up with something that we, we would really be excited about, you know, writing and making, we, we came up with this idea that kind of resonated. And, uh, and then we kind of proceeded to spend several kind of years trying to put it together and writing it and rewriting it and getting a, an agent and a manager and getting them to kind of give notes to get it more rewritten and more in in better shape every time um, only for eventually Robert Kirkman and David Alpert uh, seeing the short film, the, the zombie short film. I don't even remember how it ended up in their, in their hands, but they ended up watching it and inviting us for a meeting and kind of uh, going, what else have you got? And we were like, oh, well, we have this other script that we developed for a few years and um, and we didn't quite make yet. And they loved it and wanted to do it. And Robert had a few notes and David Alpert had a few notes. Of course, those guys know what they're doing. So we're very happy to follow them. And um, that pretty much ended up being the movie that you can see now and um we you know, casting was awesome and getting two two stars of the caliber of uh, Norman Reedus and Jai Monatsu was just beyond what we ever expected for a small first movie um certainly beyond what I expected as my debut directing features um so it was you know an amazing experience that the, the executives at sony pictures that sort of came on board and kind of financed it and acquired it and so on so um that's kind of how we came together as um as us like this comic as you know me and chris sort of talking ideas and things that we love and ending up with a story that we felt was worthy of spending a long time working on. Because at the end of the day, if there is one common thread between movies and comic books is that these stories just take a long time to come together, whether it's writing it and tweaking it and uh, working with producers to kind of make it become a movie to writing it for the comic book market and having an editor like Sean kind of help you, you know, really bring everything to life and then bring in somebody super talented like Lucas to illustrate it. And that is another whole process. And then Jean-Francois comes along and is coloring it. And that's a whole new thing. Um, you know, these things are, you know, people buy them 
and enjoy them and it's great, but there is an incredible amount of effort and, and you end up living with these things for a very long time. So um, it also kind of helps that we're working on things that we're passionate about. It's interesting because, you know, like there, there was a period where we were, we were both kind of like, you know, heads together, working on the script, passing stuff back and forth on the phone. For a period, we were still living in the same area. But then, you know, then Christian moved to L.A. and I'm in another city. So we were, we were still like meeting frequently. But, uh, but then, yeah, there was, it was an interesting insight for me because uh, there was a period where it, it kind of gets handed off for in, in the movie world where it gets handed off and then Christian switched, you know, switched his hat from writer to director. I'm actually thankful that, that he was there because he included me in a lot of uh, the discussions, but um, I was, I, I kind of got to just be a, be a fan <laughs> and I didn't have a lot of work to do at that point. So I got to just like, you know, tour the set and see how everything was going and meet the actors and um and then and then christian had a, a ton of work to do so so my work was done that was actually pretty fun uh not not necessarily fun seeing seeing christian work work his ass off although that was that was a little bit fun but it was it was kind of fun you know like yeah writer oh you need me to touch up a line sure i can i can do a little bit but um by that point, you know, there's a handoff and everyone else, everyone else has picked up the ball and, and they're working um, like crazy to, to make, make, make it happen. And it, it was fun making the movie, uh, even if I, you know, if I was on set and all that. And obviously it's a lot, it's a lot of hard work, but it's also one of the best jobs in the world. The, the only thing that maybe made it not as much fun as it could have been is that um, it was all shot on location and people watching it will probably go, what? Um, you know, the common, the common uh, misconception for people watching air is to think that we were nice and warm in a soundstage somewhere in Canada shooting and then, you know, taking our restroom breaks and going to the cafeteria. Well, we're, we're actually underground in real abandoned, dingy, horrible places, including an abandoned mine where it was dripping water all over us and we were trying to save the camera by enveloping it in uh, protective plastic bags. And, uh, uh, you know, we were building sets in, in these environments. And it's a, it, 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 the movie looks the way it looks, not because we had a tens of millions of dollars, but because we actually went in the, in, in the real places where something like this would happen. And so it's almost like shot entirely on location. And um, and that also added an element of realism to the whole thing, but also a nightmarish working condition that uh, that made it less fun to to be in doing. Well, you can feel the claustrophobia just watching the uh, the preview of it. So I think I'm going to add that to my watch list. I want to see how this all pans out. It looks really good. Christian, Thank you, Kristen. I wanted to ask you. Um, you also worked on a video, Red Dead Redemption which uh, got a rave review on NPR. And um, what's so special about this particular Western video game? Um, well, it, it did get great reviews. And obviously, the, the reviews were for the outstanding work that uh, a great number of people 
including Chris, for uh, for a certain amount of time because you, you know you also worked on that game, and that's where we met for the first time. So I kind of share the huge compliment that these reviewers have uh, paid us uh, with you know all all the massive team that that has contributed to it. But um, I think what resonated with it first and and foremost is that we we managed to to create a western and and with that i mean not just uh, a good story that resonated emotionally with people but also uh, an environment where people could uh, experience the um the stories that they were usually just uh, able to watch with their just with their eyes passively in the, in the spaghetti western or in the Sam Peckinpah's revisionist westerns, uh, western, um, and um, and now they were able to kind of walk into one of them and um, be the hero of the story, and also um, experience some of the some of the storytelling that we put in there for them. And um, and to me, it seems like uh, that's really what resonated with people: the the adventures that we wrote for the for the main character, but also. The ability for people to just get on their horse and ride off into the sunset and get these crazy vistas and um, fulfill the fantasy of being a cowboy. Video games have been developed in the comic book series. Do you think that possibly this could be a mini series or series for a comic book? I honestly don't know. Um, uh, it would be up for uh, it would be up to Rockstar to make that decision and. I, I I know that they are very interested in a a lot of uh, ways of telling stories, and they always do little side uh, things. Like um, we did a short film for Red Dead, um, directed by John Hillcott back in the day when the game was released. So maybe they'll do something similar, but it's it's really out of my control because I I don't even work for that company anymore. All right, fair enough. Um, just have a few more questions. These are just fun questions, so no pressure here. It's real simple. Lucas, you collect plushie toys. For fun? For profit? <laughs> Why? Oh, man. I just, I, I just really like them. I, I, uh, you know, it's kind of that, it's kind of that uh, almost like an Adventure Time button for me. Just, uh, you know, the funnier the better. Do you have <laughs> a favorite? A few, uh... <laughs> oh, man. I've got, uh... this is... Honestly, my favorites are kind of like the less cool ones. It's like, I mean, I've got some ugly dolls and uh, a couple other, like the more like the the hipster plushies, but <laughs> I really <laughs> like the old Sandra Boynton, like uh, pigs and cows and like rhinos and stuff. I don't know. They're just, they're, their expressions are just very, very funny to me. I, don't know. I think that's the whole reason I like, uh, I like plush. I, 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 have like sketchbook pages full of like little designs and stuff too for uh for my own um but uh yeah just the ones that the ones that make me laugh you know it's not the ones that are like uh you know you go into like the the fancy toy stores and they're like really authentic looking like i'm not really i'm not really interested in having like you know a stuffed fox that actually looks like a dead fox or the more like uh psychedelic like out there ones like the kinds of things that you see in the background of like uh 
Adventure Time and Rick and Morty and stuff like that. I, I love that stuff. <laughs> so it's kind of a spur-of-the-moment purchase. It's not something like, i got to find this one particular plushie. You're not like a hardcore collector who's trying to find them. Oh, no. No, no, okay. When I say I collect, I, I collect them, I've probably got like eight or nine. Okay. all right. <laughs> like right. I don't have like well, shelves full it's of It's quality, not like... quantity. That's the important thing. Right. <laughs> And comic book conventions are really great for finding that stuff, too. I mean, sometimes they're a little expensive at a con, but, like, you know, you can get, like, your uh, your, your Miyazaki plushies and, like, you know, they'll have a plushie of, like, one of your favorite video game characters or something like that. And, uh, you know, it's it's that kind of thing. Okay. Chris, <laughs> do you have a guilty pleasure, or something like a plushie collection or something that you <laughs> consider to be a guilty pleasure? Oh, gosh. Oh, plushie collection. I I can't. I don't know how I can hold a candle to a uh, <laughs> the, the plushie collection. But that that number eight or nine. Now that number is going to go up every time we talk about it, Lucas. Yeah, it will. Because now now the pressure like people and, know I collect them. They're going to send them to yeah, you. Hold on, man. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, yeah. Send them over, everybody. <laughs> no, I don't know. Like I don't know if I have a guilty. I I would say like as a video game developer my my guilty pleasure that probably other developers would look at me and, and sneer at is i i play way too many like casual like tablet and phone games mm, okay <laughs> like there's just sometimes we're not to relax i i i blush a little bit as i admit it i will i will play games like candy crush and angry birds <laughs> just like to completely shut off my mind mm-hmm. and yeah Everyone else, yeah, I don't, I don't, I guess now people are going to know. Shouldn't you be playing Mass Effect? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I just wanted to turn off my brain. <laughs> Christian, do you have any guilty pleasures you want to share with us? I don't know. I, I don't feel that guilty about some of these things that I try to do for pleasure because there's not that much time in the day to left to do much. So anything that I get to do, it's, uh, it almost feels, makes me feel guilty because I'm like, Hey, why am I watching this movie right now? I, I should be, uh, I should be working, but, um, yeah, no, I can't really think of the top of my head of anything that's as good as Candy Crush and plushy toys. <laughs> um, so I, I, I prefer not to compete with the guys and just uh, step aside and uh, let them take the medal for this. You're not competing. You're just you're hanging us out to dry here. I know. Like we look, we look like terrible humans. <laughs> I, I don't really have any guilty pleasures. I guess I like to watch uh, Carson reruns that are on uh, Antenna TV, and that clears the room. I'm by myself then. <laughs> the oh, wife leaves. Johnny and... Carson? Yeah, yeah. My wife leaves nice. the room. Yeah, yeah. They have the one. I love the ones from the 70s because there's, the, there's the plaid jackets and Johnny's smoking at the desk, and it's like, wow. <laughs> it's, it's, but I'm, I'm alone there. I am. Everybody leaves. <laughs> Now, we all love comics, I think it's safe to say. Do you how did you guys get into comics? I mean, let's well, I don't mean like writing and drawing, but I mean like your favorite comics that you read now and ones that you've always loved that you read way back when you first started reading comics. Chris, how about you? Yeah, I'm kind of like a hardcore fan of of Alan Moore. Um and that's that's that was sort of for me like the big like I was a big comics fan of you know, the 
of Daredevil and Punisher and Wolverine like way, way back and then and then there was a point where like I was exposed to stuff like Swamp Thing and 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 uh Miracle Man and and of course Watchmen and just like this, these like mind-blowing comic experiences um and the stories that I I you know I think in my collection those are the ones that I'll I'll pick up again and reread just to just to be inspired and and just to you know it's going to sound schlocky but just to look at the the potential of the medium um i i think there's i think there's you know lots of great writers today um and and artists uh creating comics and and doing a lot more of that mind-blowing stuff but to me like like picking up something like miracle man um kind of brings me back to the that time when or, or swamp thing brings me back to that time when you know i, I first picked it up and you know read some of those some of those series like uh, you know i'm sorry if if you haven't if you haven't read it net yet i'm going to spoil spoil it for you the the um quote sex scene in in swamp's thing when when you know um they have the the communion and there's just like this one long issue uh that's just like this giant visual poem uh it's it's pretty amazing so stuff like that is is what I enjoy reading and and even in comics today I mean I love I love the fast-paced stories but you know if I can see something that blow that really blows my mind and like wow I've never seen that that's the stuff that that really excites me how about you Christian I've been reading comics since uh you know since I could read I guess like everybody probably here talking right now uh, and probably even listening to this. Um, in, in Italy, we have a really interesting, diverse um, input of comics because I feel, uh, well, I've been out of the country for 20 years, but I, I feel like when I was growing up, there was um, the you know American comics, um, the, the, the classic ones, you know, Amazing Spider-Man, and um, et cetera, all the X-Men. And then we had the... Uh, Manga, so the Japanese comics and anime, the Japanese animation on TV, and um, and so I was reading a ton of that. I I feel like uh, I bought Akira and Ghost in the Shell, and I was reading them before the movies came out and before it was even cool to kind of read that sort of stuff. And in fact, it was very uncool to re- to read them when I was reading them. Um, I would say life-threatening at times, and then uh, and then of course Italy has um, its own culture of comics um, from you know the Disney revisionist stories. There's a there's a whole branch of Walt Disney comics that that has uh, created that has artists and writers in Italy that have created like a parallel universe of new characters and new storylines, and I, I think every kid. Um, up to maybe 14 years of age, reads uh, a magazine uh, that's called basically Mickey Mouse and has, you know, every, comes out every week and it's full of stories and characters. And I love reading that religiously every week. Um, and um, and similarly, there's, there's a really kind of gritty detective stories, black and white sort of horror comics. I loved growing up. Uh, a comic book called Dylan Dog, which Lucas keeps telling me the the name uh, of the American version, and I keep forgetting it. But it's um, it's basically um, 
the sort of uh, investigator of the mysterious and uh, every it would come out every week as well and it would be full of uh, crazy um, paranormal adventures um, and his sidekick was Groucho Marx for some bizarre reason <laughs> love that um, um, I had a stack of those that would go like floor to ceiling um, and and so yeah, I, I grew up literally reading all these diverse comics. Eventually, getting access to the the British, uh, you know, AD uh, 2000 AD and uh, heavy metal sort of type of a uh, little more grown up uh, stories. But kind of like Europe has its scene, and so it's kind of nice that I was able to kind of enjoy that a little bit um, before moving to the US and kind of getting um, way into way too much into the great output that comes from from this country because I feel like you get spoiled in the US with so much amazing uh, variety and great writing and so many titles from so many publishers and everything is good that you don't know what to pick up and and in Europe it's a little more you feel there's a filter in what comes across, but it is also like a regional output. And, and I feel like over here, maybe it's harder to get that because there is so much good stuff um, coming from, you know, your own country. Um, and, and right now I'm, I'm reading a comic book called Witches and a comic book called Bitch Planet. And I'm enjoying both very much. Good choices. Lucas, you mentioned a few books that you like. What are your What are your go to comics? Oh man! Um, well, starting when I was younger, it was uh, uh, you know definitely uh, it was it was all what the local library had in Anchorage, Alaska, where I'm from, and it was certainly like not comprehensive whatsoever. Uh, but they would have you know bits and pieces of of like some really great series like. That's how I discovered like the Sandman and uh, uh, oh, in, in Alan Moore's Swamp Thing as well. Like uh, it's weird because they wouldn't have all the books. They'd have like half of them. And uh, I would just always assume that that's how many there were. Like I didn't I, at that age, I didn't understand that those things came out in single issues first. I thought that they were just, oh, this, like, this nice big thick comic book. Like I'll check that out for a week and. Uh, so it was like this really sort of eclectic smattering of, uh, stuff, whether it was, uh, Sandman or Swamp Thing or, uh, a few, uh, random European comics like, uh, uh, Trilogy from Anki Bilal. I remember they had that and, uh, uh, a few, a few mangas here and there, um, and so, like, that was my first introduction to, to comics at all past, you know, what I enjoyed as a, as a young kid, which was, you know, basically uh, comic strips like Calvin and Hobbes and uh, uh, Windsor McKay, Nemo and Slumberland stuff. Um, and then as I got into, like, my teenage years and 20s and stuff, I started to, oh, okay, this is something you can actually, you can go to a comic book store, which got a whole lot easier once I moved to Portland after <laughs> high school. And actually get a box and collect stuff and um, and like I said when I had that internship at Dark Horse uh, a bunch of those guys were just like so nice and influential on just like oh you haven't read this cool here's my copy keep it you know 
So it's uh, grew from there. And then, and then like nowadays, uh, there's a lot to, it's, I mean, it's hard for me to keep up with everything just because, I mean, I have limited time to read, but some of the stuff I'm really enjoying now, uh, a couple of them are, are actually just coming out of the studio that I share with a bunch of other artists and stuff. So there's uh, uh, Steve Lieber uh, and uh, Nick Spencer doing The Fix, which is just an amazing, funny book. Uh, uh, Kurt Busiek and uh, uh, Ben Dewey, Ben Dewey being the guy that's been the studio, uh, are doing Autumn Lands, which is just an amazing gorgeous uh fantasy book involving uh sort of like culture of uh anthropomorphic animal people um and uh from there i kind of just go to things randomly just like there's so like christian was saying there's so much to choose from here it's just if something looks good i'll get it you know i'll i'll pick up like uh stuff like um uh paper girls which is a really cool uh, uh, kind of throwbacky type book to like 80s culture and stuff uh, that almost has like this Cronenberg twist to it. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think of what it is. Whenever somebody asks me like, oh yeah, list all the comics you're reading right now. It's, it's always kind of hard to narrow <laughs> it down. But um, yeah, that's... Uh, really just whatever looks good, whatever I hear is good. Like, Oh, did you see that there's a new, you know, there's a new book by uh, Eric Powell who did that, that goon book you like, you know, um, a lot of times I'm, I'm, uh, I hear, I always, I never hear about things first. I always hear about them second and I'm super guilty of like getting really into things like years after they've been out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's true for <laughs> video games, movies. Like I'm always, I'm always the last to see and read stuff. Yeah, I'm always catching up. My reading pile is ridiculous. I have my weekly books that I read, and I try to get through them in seven to ten days. But then I have all the trades that I pick up to catch up on things I missed. And then I have mm-hmm. back issues from the 60s and 70s that I say, oh, i got to have that, and I want to read that. So I get I have ridiculous amounts yeah. of piles, just like just <laughs> trades and single copies and then like things I read for interviews, and it's just it's nuts. Um, my final set of questions, and I'm gonna, I'll am gonna i just ask the questions to each person rather than go around um, – and uh, Lucas, you win because you get to go first. <laughs> everybody, else get, everybody else gets to hear the questions so they can actually think about them. So this is a section I call Peace and Relaxation. So first question is, what do you do for Peace and Relaxation? Well, I uh, watch movies with my girlfriend. Um, I read comics. Uh, if, I, if I can carve out the time, I definitely play video games. And uh, most of those video games are old video games like i i love 90s point and clicks uh um the exception to that is that i actually just saw i I hadn't played red dead redemption up until about a week ago and i just saw it pop up on playstation now so i uh i'm writing the first chapter or two there and eager to see where it goes (laughs) but um you know i i like to uh uh, I like to go to elect- electronic shows, rock shows. I like to uh, drink wine, occasionally absinthe. Um, okay. That's uh, you know, it's pretty chill stuff. It's not like I, I don't I don't go on on Vegas benders or anything. Okay. Well, you answered <laughs> you answered one of my questions. Your beverage of choice, so it's it's going to be probably wine, 
right? Mm-hmm. Or, okay. I, I mean, you know, special occasions, I have been kind of an absinthe nerd for like 10 years. Okay. And, and do you have an island book? If you're stuck on a desert island, what's the one book you want to have with you to read? Oh, uh, I would have to, I would have to say Dune. Okay. Yeah, it's very rereadable. And like, I always catch something new every time I read it. All right. Good choice. Good choice. Christian, for rest and relaxation, when you can find the time, what do you do? I meditate and I watch movies. Um, And usually I I try to disconnect the movie watching from the the relaxing movie watching from the uh, work movie watching by trying to relax with like older movies um that uh are a little more obscure and maybe a little less connected to what i what i do and the genres that i that i work with um i've uh, i've recently subscribed to a service i don't i don't want to advertise uh here so it, it shall remain unnamed but it but it offers like a great selection of uh really uh old and classic cinema and uh, i've you know, I, I really enjoy just uh, dwelling on on those um, sort of sometimes foreign language films and just uh, sort of relax. And I know that while they might inspire me, I'm not watching them immediately to uh, research a project that I'm doing. And and also, like I've discovered meditation um, recently. I know that this is a millennia long uh, endeavor for humanity, but I've just come across it. Um, the last couple of months, and it, it's it really changed my life. So I would uh, recommend uh, everyone that try and meditate at least uh, you know twenty minutes every day. Very good advice. I try to. <laughs> I got up to thirty minutes at one point. Uh, you know, to where you can't feel your legs. <laughs> All right, but now I'm back down. To I 10 actually. Minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually go to a class as well every um, every Sunday, and so I I try to you know at least find the time to do that and um, really make a make an effort, and and it, then it pays off because at the very least you you have a routine that you can do, and for that hour it's your sanctum, it's your time. Yeah, no, it really does work because when you're consistent at it, which I haven't been, but when I was, it really does help slow down your thinking and how you react to things and you can really examine things. It's almost like things move more in slow motion because you're able to examine all the thoughts that come into your head. Um, with meditation, you can just let go of everything so you're able to handle things that come in at you when you're not meditating just from going through that practice repeatedly. So yeah, it's definitely beneficial. And do you have a beverage of choice? Watching movies. Um, I my, I'll tell you my favorite cocktail, which is Negroni. It's um, an equal mix of gin, vermouth, and Campari, and I highly recommend it. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> Chris. Peace and relaxation. What do you like to do? Peace and relaxation. Um, usually, I you know it, it's sometimes it's playing with my kids, but sometimes that's not always the most peaceful or relaxing. <laughs> I understand. So, I understand. <laughs> so I tried to, sometimes it's good. Um, the rest of the time it's like just some quiet activity by myself. Reading is, is a favorite. Um, 
sometimes more so even than than watching movies or 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 TV shows. Those can be this can be enjoyable, but there there's something particularly relaxing about like reading quietly in a quiet room um, or or outside in the sun. That's that's probably my my go-to like way to relax. And your uh, Desert Island book, what would you have with you? That one book. Desert Island book. This is hard. Um, I have like I have like a a library <laughs> in in my office like and and I keep trying to like like whittle it down, but but it keeps growing. It's it's like out of control and and a lot of these are books that um, I've sort of collected, and, and a lot of these are books that I, I read and reread. It's probably going to be, oh, this is something that, that I, I happen to love right now, but if I think about it for another day, I'll come up with another answer. Uh, Joe Abercrombie's Best Serve Cold. Uh, he's just a fantastic uh, fantasy author. author. Um, call it dark fantasy, but uh, it's, it's super enjoyable and, like, it's probably I've read it several times and enjoy it each time. Okay, and uh, your beverage of choice when relaxing? Beer, preferably, <laughs> preferably where I live. Like uh, IPAs are there's a there's a microbrewery like practically on every block, and then most of them have like high. Uh, alcohol percentages <laughs> so uh like a like a double or triple ipa is, is a is a is a is a usual uh go-to drink for relaxing i understand i love the ipas the double and the triple and it's like i have one it's like oh i can't feel my feet <laughs> yeah they are very yeah, strong yeah one one is all you need you, that's like it. The, the six pack you can you can you can milk that for for an entire week yeah, it depends absolutely. on how often you need to relax. If you need it several times a day, then you've probably got a problem. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a tough drink to have at the end of a long week because after I have one, it's good night. <laughs> yeah, I'm well, out. it's the end. Of, yeah, it's the end of the day. If you're doing it in the afternoon, then no, you're not, you're not planning much else. No, you're not cutting the lawn. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Uh, Kill the Minotaur comes out June fourteenth. Thirty pages. Chris, Christian, Lucas, thank you so much. Appreciate you being guests and spending all this time with me discussing Kill the Minotaur and other sundry things. Thank, thank you. you, Christopher. There you have it. The writers of Kill the Minotaur, Chris Facetto, Christian Canamessa, and the artist Lucas Kettner. The book comes out on June 14th, published by Image Comics, a full 30 pages, so check it out. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I have a lot of great guests coming up. Uh, I have a focus on a publisher called Insane Comics and their creators. So about once a week, for the next several weeks, I'll have a spotlight on one of those creators that are publishing books through Insane Comics about them and their work. So that'll be a bonus podcast every week on top of the regular podcast on Thursdays. There will be one week where I have only one podcast because I'll be doing a little bit of peace and relaxation myself on a brief weekend trip for a few days, and I'll talk about that when I come back from the vacation. And if you want to follow me on Facebook or Twitter, it's at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. Or go to the website. You can send me an email. Check out past podcasts. You can stream them from SoundCloud. You can download them from iTunes or from Google Play or Stitcher. And my website is creatortalks.com that's creatortalks.com 
I've conducted several interviews in the past few days and I have some really good interviews coming up. I mean, I feel like I wasn't even doing my job. The guests were so good. I mean, they really brought it. They just talked and I keep it within an hour. But we don't just talk about the comic. We get into some pop culture, some history, film, TV. So there's a lot of really good conversations coming up, especially if you want insight into the writing and artistic process. I'm talking some really good insights and personal experience from the creators, and I think you'll really enjoy hearing their stories. I know I did. I was really wrapped up in their stories. Well, that's it for now. I'm Christopher Calloway for Creator Talks. Until next time. <laughs>